0: To FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, content director at Money 2020 by day and your host by night. Our guest this week is Bar Garone, CEO at Balance. Balance is the B2B e commerce payments platform. They've raised a bunch, they're growing fast, and they're focused on B2B when business to business is finally bringing that sexy back. We recorded this episode during New York fintech week this year it's the final episode in the batch that we recorded that week really fun conversation this episode is brought to you by fs vector you'll hear more about them just a bit later and without further ado here's (laughs) barn
1: Bar, welcome to the show, man. Good to meet you. Uh, let's start where I, where I always kind of start, which is the always surprising question to most people, which is, tell me about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? Kind of how did you form <laughs> into, into the human that you are? Yeah, on FinTech business shows, people are like, wait, you want to talk about my personal life? What are we doing here? So anyways, oh yeah, surprise some people.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Um, so, so I grew up, um, in a very, very small, um, we'll not call it suburb because it's not, it's not one-to-one, but, uh, you can think about it like a small community outside of the city, um, 300 families, uh, kind of disconnected, um, in general, this, that was uh, the general experience. Yeah. Very close to my mother. Um, I grew up, you know, playing tennis. Um, that was, that was my sport. Uh, I didn't take it too, too, too much to the pro side. Um, it was just, you know, all you do before the army is just, you know, hanging around trying to get a sense. What's, what, what is life really? Um, so that, that was like the early years and then the army, um, the army was, uh, was something else, even though it's part of uh it's part of the culture in Israel, everyone does that. I didn't have a big brother and I didn't really know what I'm getting into. Um and you know, from one moment to the next, I'm like an officer of like twelve tanks in like Gaza on the border of Lebanon. Like you know, it's like <laughs> it's like that that type of crazy. Um, but yeah, finish that, and uh, and I plan to continue in the army. Actually, I wanted to like be a uh, higher rank of an officer, I was a captain, and then uh, I said, okay, I need, I need a break. I don't know if you know, but in the army in Israel, when you finish it, you go to like you know South America or like Asia to lose yourself and find yourself again, type of thing. Um, so I did like a break. I went to like uh Nepal and then I'm like and then I'm like, yeah, I'm not. Did you find back. yourself? <laughs> I think so because uh, there was a very actionable, uh actionable thing, which is I'm not coming back to the army. Oh, well, it sounds very actionable. Yeah, it's very actionable, uh actually.
1: What made you were you were there kind of like entrepreneurial tendencies in your youth that made you
2: want to kinda go this different direction and get out into business? I think just, I think just getting to know life outside of the army, you know, the army is so, um, the army is so like, uh, end to end you have nothing besides like your, you know, the people around you and the mission you have in front of your eyes. So getting outside is seeing the world and seeing that there's other things and then just, uh, you know, continue my path and just leveraging what I learned in the army to get into like different positions, like my, The way I roll in life is, you know, I'm trying to leverage, always leverage what I got. Uh, So I leveraged my army experience and then worked at uh, at a company that is one of like in Israel, it's a company that's, you know, there's like uh, tens of thousands of employees. It's uh, one of uh, the proudest uh, things we have in Israel, which is Elbit Systems. It's a defense system company. You can imagine in Israel, we're good at those things. Um, so did that, built my initial career there.
1: I saw something on your, uh, in your background about like a combat training simulator, was that the portion of your life.
2: So yeah, that, that was that time in my life, uh, before there was, uh, AI or like, uh, more like a virtual reality, what we know today from like Oculus and all of those, um, Elbit created a, a system that you can uh, just plug the system into a tank. Um, and put a helmet on and then using the tank the same way you use it in combat scenarios, just in a virtual reality with the helmet you put on, we didn't call it like virtual reality back then. We just called it simulators, but it was, uh, it was kind of cool to be honest. Like uh, we would just go to like different units, um, in the army and just train them with those systems without spending, you know, money, and just hurting the environment with just training in the field. You can just sit down in your tank and feel like you're, yeah. So that was that, uh, which is cool.
1: So were you, were you on like the business side of that on the engineering side of that on like kind of what, what skills had you developed at kind of this point in your life? Cause it seems like there's a, a number
2: of them that have gotten you to this point today. So there's few things. One is a lot of, um, so you're managing it end to end. So you're like the field engineer, um, in Israel, it's a very, very much in the culture of like, yeah, do this and there's a bit of that. And like, uh, like be very like, uh, hustling in the, in the general approach. So that was the experience, like being the field engineer that fixed, like, you know, the system itself, um, doing the training with the people. Um, and so that was one side, like the, majority of my time that actually wasn't the simulator itself it was to take technical products like uh um um like one of the products that uh, that I was responsible for is a system to um uh for electronic warfare um so you need to take those documents and create to make sense out of them like engineering documents and then train people in the field Um, so a lot of the skills, if you want to touch on the skill itself was how do you take very complex engineering oriented products and create use cases out of them that someone can leverage and create value from. So we, you know, we train different, different countries around the world. I'm not sure I can, uh, Expose. Yeah, no, I, I don't wanna countries. be
1: on whatever list I would be on if yeah, you didn't disclose I it. So no, that's fair. You don't done. wanna do it. Yeah, yeah, you don't wanna <laughs> get down.
2: I don't want I don't wanna lose you. You look like a great guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> we
1: we don't have to go there. That's, it's fascinating that the interplay of those things though, I mean, it sounds, it sounds at the end of the day, like your skill is the ability or not your skill, but one the kind of skill that you're alluding to is the ability to develop a lot of skills quickly and then to develop and then to like throw them against each other and combine it all into, into one thing that somehow ends up solving a problem.
2: I think, I think I'm, uh, I'm, maybe more trivial in Israel, but even in Israel, I have a very weird background, you know, I'm just army for five years is a very specific thing. It's all about leadership and uh, creating sense of urgency for people. Then like Albert, it's like all about what you just said. And then I studied industrial engineering, which is just engineering. And then I did my master's in philosophy and I was uh, an analyst and like a data scientist, if you like. And yeah, product management, an entrepreneur of a bootstrap company. I I I don't know who am I. I'm just curious. (laughs) I'm just a curious guy. I'm just a curious guy that loves to move forward. I don't know what to tell you. I love it. I mean, maybe there
1: should be a therapy session then. If you you know, if you're not really sure who you are, I need it. I need it. Take a little more. You know, take a deep dive there. Now, let's
0: take just a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor and the team that makes this all possible, FS Vector. FS Vector is the firm for innovative financial services. That means a lot of things, but most of all, what it means right now is a path to clarity. The policy and regulatory landscape hasn't felt this unclear in a long time from banking to cryptocurrency and everything in between uncertainty is rampant we know there's no crystal ball but the closest thing we have can be good advisors not consultants as we talked about in the previous episode but advisors Navigating uncertainty isn't a job for a noob. That's why FS Spectre has experienced advisors from successful founders to ex regulators to experts in really all fields. Reason based, justifiable decision making that you can clearly <laughs> show your work to regulators and auditors. It's never been so important to show your work. I wouldn't have started recommending FS Vector to founder friends before they were a sponsor if I really didn't trust their expertise. And I do. And that's why they're a sponsor. If I was building something new right now, I'd be working with FS Vector. I recommend all my friends to them. As I said, if you're building something new, evolving something that exists, or not sure about how to handle a unique situation in the world of financial services, FS Vector can help. Go to FSVector.com and tell them Zach sent you.
1: So you were kind of alluding to, you know, kind of what you were doing after after that, and one of the things that you did in your in your previous life that I'd love to to get into is the title and term "decision scientist." Uh, I think it's one, just a pretty badass title, uh, and two, <laughs> two something that. So. Yeah. And two, something that, um, is not, not very standard. So tell me, tell me more about that. And I think it kind of maybe is the beginning to a lot of what you're you know getting. Not exactly, but I, I see seeds of that leading into where you're at
2: today. Yeah. It's, uh, so you need some context. PayPal Israel is a very, is very specific thing. Um, there was a company, uh, that's called fraud sciences this was a startup. Um, that the founders came from a very prestige unit in the Israeli army and created a technology uh, for fraud prevention online, which is really what you know. Every every big company that has some fraud prevention mechanism inside of it, like Visa, Mastercard, big banks, PayPal, All of them are using that technology that was created by that company. Um, It's very, very unique. A lot of patents were created there. PayPal purchased, like acquired that company Um, and PayPal Israel was essentially fraud sciences under the PayPal umbrella. People in PayPal Israel are a, a weird bunch of people with different backgrounds. The only common denominator between everyone is analytical capabilities um, everything else. And this is something you can extract from the army. This is the beautiful thing about Israel. Everyone goes through the army. Um, everyone are being standardized. Like, where were you? Uh, you don't need to do the SITs. It's just, uh, you know, yeah, you it's, made just, it through it's just the army. Yeah. So, so, um, it's not, you know, 100%, but the 80%, you can be categorized by where you were in the army. Yeah. Um, so, it's, I, so I was it's, not, not part just... of it.
1: Gosh. Gotcha. So it's, it's not just that you went through, right. Cause there's like one of, one of my good friends, um, Oh, from true accord went through, you know, he went, he went through that, but he all, he talked about it as, Having been a foot soldier, right? And then his CTO and brother Nadav, uh, was definitely, I'm in Rise, New York right now, so there's just gonna be people walking by and I'm gonna try to not let them come in. Um, and his brother Nadav, uh, I believe was part of the unit that you were referring to, or at least one of those types of units. Um so you're you're saying it's not just the fact that you went through that experience, that like trial by fire, but it's where you were in the military. It's what unit you were in and what you were doing sort of thing that kind of establishes that perception?
2: Yeah, so um Oad is a great guy. Um Oad, Oad was one of those um initial like uh batches of people worked, uh, at fraud scientists and PayPal. Um, so he was one generation, maybe two generations before me. Um, but yeah, like my brother is like, I don't know specifically, uh, uh, brother, but my brother was in, uh, Talpiot, for example, which is the unit that uh, those uh, people came from. It's a very, very, very prestigious, like the 1% of units of intelligence. There's a lot of intelligence in the army. Uh, I don't know, 40, 50%. I don't know what the number is. Um, so it's hard to say there's a lot of smart people. Um, but yeah, just the, the, uh, the core of it is, um, a lot of smart people with very different backgrounds to, to, to do one thing, which is to build a system that is robust in the levels that online trade is robust, which is, you know, back in the days, consumer e-commerce was just exploding right think of uh think of uh, the last uh 15 years and what happened to retail in general um so really paypal was there with the best technology in the world by the way the best companies doing fraud also came out of paypal right you have uh, riskified and folter and other companies as well or um, well, I can talk about it much more than me, by the way. People were just smart people around you um, using technology to make very fast decisions about who is the person behind the transaction. And there's a lot of profiling technology and creating new data elements that we just went through. So everyone in PayPal just going through a course of three and a half months, if I remember correctly, of how do you do profiling and how do you build systems to make decisions extremely fast, in high accuracy, with high coverage. Um, So that that was fascinating. And everyone was part of it in different angles of this domain. So a decision scientist is a person that is responsible to take technology that is being developed across the organization and implement it in a way of, you can think about it like a rule engine that can take a certain MO, certain um, type of risk you want to mitigate and just turn it on and mitigate it. So it was a very exciting like position because you're doing things and you see the outcome on the other side. It's like very like, uh, like, like a trading, uh, like a trading type of experience, everything you do, you see the impact. Um, so they call it at the beginning risk analysts, or if you were like, I think the second iteration of it is like, there's a risk analyst. And then when you grow up to be a senior, uh, senior in the position, you're like a decision scientist, you're, you have more responsibility. Okay. That's a, I mean, I would be working
1: very hard to get to that second level because that is a much cooler title than analyst, man. That is, that is a nine day (laughs) title from analyst. Um, Yeah, I
2: agree. It's,
1: it's fascinating though. And I mean, especially on the e-commerce piece and the PayPal background, I mean, it all, it all makes sense as to how you would kind of take a journey through that world and kind of end up eventually where you are today. So let's, let's get to balance. So let's start with, let's start with one, the kind of founding thesis. Why, why did you found it? Um, and then two, let's go into, you know, kind of what it has become, right? So the why, and then the today, what do you do? Because doing the research on you all and like going down that rabbit hole, obviously I'd heard, of heard of you before, but, there's always this thing with doing podcasts where I discover sometimes that a company that I thought did one thing actually does four, you know, or that I thought they had one product turns out they had five. And, uh, the more I dug with you all, the more I was like, Oh, holy shit, this is an ecosystem. So I'd love to understand like the whole thing. Um, not just, you know, the, the, the quick version of it. So don't hesitate to you know go down
2: some rabbit holes. Yeah. So, um, maybe the, the way to tackle it is by going very wide and then going, you know, very, very narrow. Um, so working at PayPal, working in other fintech companies, um, I got very close, um, to payments and commerce and then B2B inside of it. And B2B in general, it's a very, very, you know, B2B is the economy. Like there's no, it's, you know, you're using B2B, like it's a thing, but it's not really a thing. It's like calling Europe, Europe, right? It's like, (laughs) it's a continent. It's not, it's not like I'm penetrating Europe. We're expanding to Europe. It's like, I don't know, choose your country, man. It's not the same thing. That's a
1: really good point. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. I've never thought of it that way, but that's very true.
2: So B two B, you know B two B payments. You know, it, we have a, a lingo in in tech. Like B two B payments is not a thing in the real world. There's no B two B payment. There's an invoice that you you get from your ERP and you send it to someone via email, fax, whatever. And then tech came along and said, "Okay, we're doing B two B payments." Um, So there's a lot of like I, I will try to put on the customer hat for a second just uh, to break down the uh, the fluffy jargon of uh, of our of our of our ecosystem. So B two B is very interesting, and the economy is a very interesting thing. So maybe the way to look at it's supply chain, right? You have a consumer, which is you. You buy all the time different shit you don't need. You buy it from retailers. The retailers um, are buying it from wholesalers, that are just an aggregator of different shit that is being created in the world. And then it's like distributors that are responsible for like big, like areas of, and they have like an exclusive with manufacturers because the manufacturers don't want to sell directly. And then you have like you, the retail, the wholesale, the distributor, the manufacturers, they buying from other manufacturers. And this is really the economy as we know it and it happens in a lot of different verticals you don't think about. The textile of the sofa you're sitting on right now in your clothes, um, the steel, the chemicals, the lumber, everything that powers the economy is running through those rails. Now, the interesting thing about the evolution of trade is that we put all the focus on us, the consumers, because it's fun. It's, 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 much, it's easy really everyone are using. So the one thing that makes consumer, um, experiences online great is that you don't need to get to know the vendor and the vendor doesn't really care about you. Um, I'm putting like the, yeah, we love all our customers and uh, blah, blah, blah. aside for a second. Usually most of them don't know you because you're a guest you're buying without an identity. This is a very powerful thing and it's very scalable. This is why you can purchase in like 10 seconds, something that costs hundreds of dollars because you get the best value, the best cost. You don't give a shit about the retailer. All you care is that his ranking is above four and that's it. (laughs) This is this concept went through thousands of iterations to the point that it's too good. Now, now you're like buying too much shit, right? <laughs> That's that you are now you have the other problem. Um, but the experience is amazing and the efficiency of getting the best value and the best cost, the best of vi- ability. It's, it's really mind blowing when you're doing a zoom out for a second because the rest of the supply chain is not in the same status. For a wholesaler to find new distributors, or vice versa, or for retailers to find different wholesalers, or for a steel buyer, or even the seller to find new buyers, that's not a thing. It doesn't happen. It's based on relationships of tens of years. So the funny thing about the situation that we are in is that we put all our focus on buying Nikes, and didn't focus on optimizing the economy to move online. And that's sad, but that's like an old story. Because right now, the thing is changing. And there is a new concept that sounds boring, but it's actually pretty exciting. It's B2B e-commerce. B2B e-commerce is the simple idea of connecting demand and supply online. And that's kind of crazy. Because if that works, it's changing the paradigm of how business is being done or how the economy works. And if you can do that well, or at least 1% well as what exists today in consumers, you will change everything. And the cost of living for everyone will go down because the efficiency will go much, much higher. There will be competition that wasn't existing before. So B2B e-commerce, as we just said, is very, very important. And I got super excited by this concept. Like B2B e-commerce is fascinating when you think about it in the right way. The problem is that there's not a lot of, not a lot of ambassadors because it's like a niche, which would be funny in 10 years from now that we thought about it like a niche
1: it's hilarious to call it a niche. That's so, I mean, it's so, you just described it as the economy, you know, you're like, it is the economy. And then you'd say a little bit later, it is
2: a niche that is, yes, that feels ironic. It feels ironic, but this is how the world thinks about it right now because it's new. Like with any new innovation, um, b 2 B e commerce is a new wave of innovation is the innovation of digitizing the economy. Now, different things are happening over them really in general when you think about your e-commerce experience as a consumer you have generally two parts we have one the discovery experience you're looking to find something and there's all the tools that enables you to do it where is it how much it costs what's the availability see pictures measure the clothes in online everything that you need to find, okay, this is what I want. The output of the process of discoveries, is I found what I need. The second is to exchange the goods or the services with cash. Like you need to pay for it, the trade. Trade in B2C, to again yeah, too good the point that we don't even remember that we paid for it because you have the payment on file. Um, it's a one-click experience that you you, you finish before you begun, right? It's like, okay, it's time to pay pay. That's it. Done. Um, and you have a gazillions of options. Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, PayPal, whatever it may be. There's like, you know, a B2C checkout experience today looks like a joke. Yeah. It- does.
1: I mean, it's kind of, it is a meme at this point, right? I mean, people are actually like taking it and kind of turning it
2: into a meme. It's just, it, it looks like it, it's, it, it looks like a joke, really. This is the only way to explain a consumer checkout experience today. You have no idea what to do. You just have no idea what to choose. You don't really understand the trade-offs because everyone are mm-hmm. doing exactly the same, which is processing a credit card and you don't give a shit because it's a very commoditized thing. Anyway, this is consumers. When you go to the B2B side, there's a lot of innovation in the discovery phase. And this is the first stage in creating a B2B e-commerce revolution. Different companies are focused on Shopify is like doubling down on it like crazy. B-commerce is going all in. B-commerce were the innovators doing it for like seven years now. And I just found out it's a public company. Don't take my word for it. We need to check it but I just found out this crazy number. Are you ready? Big commerce today, you know, big commerce? Yeah. It's a great company. Um, uh, similar to Shopify in that sense. i um, doing a lot of good, good work. Um, big company, public doing great. Um, really, uh, scaling nicely. Today, 40%, I think it's a 40%, but again, you need to check me 40% of their revenues already B2B. Whoa, whoa, that's a lot because they were focused on it from the beginning. So they created an amazing experience, um, in the discovery phase. If I want to build a B2B, uh, and I want to sell to retailers because I don't know, I can, I just created something. I don't know. I created a, um, I'm a I have a new toothbrush and it's nice and consumer likes it, but I don't want to sell directly. I'm not powerful enough. I want to start selling to others that will distribute my goods. I want to have an an additional storefront for for B2B buyers. I need bulk discounts. I need a lot of different shit that businesses need in order to purchase normally online. So e-commerce enables you to do it. By the way, others as well. Magento is all in. A lot of startups are building B2B e-commerce experiences. It's happening. Balance is focusing on the second step, which is a completely shit show right now. So in the discovery phase, you're bringing everyone online. You're creating self-serve, like what's available. Amazing. There's work to connect the ERP, which is the core of every B2B company to the B2B e-commerce. There's a lot of things you need to do. And it's a different podcast, but we, di- we are doing it well. This part of the revolution is happening. Now you're getting to the trade and then you go back offline. Why? think of like we open up the world everything is connected then you're going to buy and then you can't why you can tell me "Ah, you can purchase with the credit card what's so what's so fancy about b2b relax and you will be right for about eight percent of cases eight percent eight percent will pay with a credit card why because it makes sense no one is buying with a credit card supply of lumber or steel, or chemicals, or textile, or rubber, or whatever it may be. So you do small things. You do like, you know, when when, when you talk about B2B with consumers, which is every person in the world, um, the, the thing that they are thinking about is buying computers for my office, because this is what I'm using. The real B2B, the supply to create those things, it's not It's not like the oh buying not one keyboard but six. This is this is a very specific use case in B two B. So as you can imagine, when you focus on those things, you have to give them the way they pay offline. You can't educate them and say you can only use credit card. That's great. This is what they try to do, and then they go to the offer and say, "Great, I'm not paying with a credit card. Send me an invoice. Tell me if this exists." And then like back and forth. a mess. Now the problem with it, which is, you can say, okay, but this is how things are forever and ever. I don't know. Something, something is good enough. The problem is that when you're building a B2B e-commerce experience, your goal is to grow. You want to go online. You want to acquire new buyers. Remember the problem we talked about? You need to grow. And when you're a buyer, you need to move him or existing vendor. You can move from or existing vendors. If you're not getting the, um, the payment settings that you have, you have a finance team, they pay on the 16 of each month, because this is how they pay all their vendors and then doing it with wires. This is how they pay. You have an option to support it. And in real time, otherwise they don't have time to fuck around and talk right, to every new to- vendor they see online. Or you'll ask them, as you said, until now, it makes sense. I'm talking a lot. No, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's one of those things where I think it's, there's enough layers of it to unpack. The funny part about it to me is that it all is so, it's one of those things that feels straightforward because the consumer space is where the consumer space is to your point. Right. And that's kind of why I was just like, yeah, normally, I mean, I'm, I kind of jump in a little more and like poke and prod and whatever, but this is one of those things that seems so simple, but I think it does require a longer explanation and it does require an explanation about the gaps. Right. Because I think a lot of folks in the industry, I mean, even myself, I, there's just kind of this fiat expectation that so much of this has been handled because it's 2023. Right. There's this fiat expectation that like, well, I, you know, I get to do, I get to just like think about buying something and Amazon read my mind and sent it and it's there in the morning. Right. I didn't even click a fucking button. Like that is the expectation. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is making sense. I think for me, the, one of the big questions is kind of the the total addressable market, the TAM of this feels so fucking big that it's just like all of B2B. Right. And that is the world, as you said. So I'm curious how you thought about like in the early days, picking customers or thinking about customers, how that's kind of shifted. And like, I guess kind of how that interplays with partnerships, I guess, to some degree. Um, But specifically the customer piece, it seems like with products like this, it's always hard to find your, you know, your early adopter and then move into mass market, especially when mass market is
2: the world. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's true. And it's a very good question. Um, balance developed, um, like a lot of startups, um, by just not knowing what to do, like not knowing where to go, just, no, just, we'll just focus on the problem. And then we said, okay, this is fascinating. Shit It's inspiring. It's something we want to do in the next seven years. Check all my boxes now let's create something that looks nice that people can relate to because visualization is the is in the heart of everything in this world so we created the first b2b checkout experience and it was beautiful with that like um, um it wasn't like we we coded, it and we could put it on websites because my cto is like a Yoni is my co-founder for uh this is our second company we we met together we, we met at PayPal he's one of my best friends from like uh I don't know the last 10 years and we together by the way with uh, with my wife which is just uh, an amazing uh, coder developer oh,
1: designer okay. product
2: manager yeah we just we just sat down for like 3 days and said okay how can the future look like like what is like something that inspires us that gets us exciting? And let's forget about the details for a second. Okay. Let's, let's, let's just create a B2B checkout experience. And that was fun. What
1: was the first customer or what was the first use case, I guess, as an, uh, uh, that kind of used it.
2: We didn't really have thought about use cases. What we wanted to do is we wanted to find B2B online stores again, dumb. Okay. We're at the start. We're just, a, a dumb bunch of people. It's not like a
1: Yeah, just like everybody else coming out of fraud sciences. Just a bunch of idiots. Yeah. yeah just exactly. no no brain cells. No yeah, no. But I get what you mean. Yeah. Like you didn't have a sense of the market. You weren't sure where you wanted to start. Yeah. And,
2: and, and I like and and I like it. I like simple things. Uh even though they are ignoring a lot of limitation and constraints, it helps you move forward. And balance was created from that motion of like Let's do something inspiring that makes sense in general. So we created this thing and then we started putting on websites and then we reached out to just just random B2B websites. selling computers, because this is how we thought about it in the beginning, right? We like, okay, what is a B2B selling online? Okay. It's like the office buying computers for everyone. Yeah. Like a Dell purchase. Yeah, exactly. So we went to like Dells, uh, exactly as you think about it right now, because this is like the common sense intuition of B2B. And then it's like, okay. And then we put the model on, like we had like a way and don't ask me, um, I'm not your, I'm not your guy to understand how we did it, but we just went to websites and put the model on the checkout itself. So for everything you want to buy, wasn't our website, it was like uh local on our on our computer, but we could show it to the to the business owner that we call and say, Listen, we have something to you don't know us, but we have something uh, to show
1: you. Uh wow,
2: okay, okay. Yeah. And then we just did this trick. And using Zoom, it was like the beginning of COVID. And then we show them, listen, we can do that. What you're seeing here, we can do it. Are you interested? And they were like mind-blown. It was like It was like an amazing thing, you know, no limitations, no constraint. They had, they had questions, but when you're so raw, um, we just found that people are getting inspired from it. Like we are, it doesn't mean that it's a business yet. It just means that there's something that gets you excited. And for us, it was enough back then. Then we wait to what we went to Y combinator and tell them, listen, we have this thing to be checked out doesn't exist today. It's a term we invented. But there's some customers that we don't know that think it's cool as well. What do you think? And they're like, okay, let's do it. And then we join my combinator. We still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we just know we want to do the B2B checkout thing. And then we asked ourselves, because my combinator is asking me that, where are you finding customers? And we're like, I don't know. We're like, uh, but like, I don't know. We're like, searching yeah, the B2B they're like, go co- talk to companies. Yeah, like, what? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know anyone selling steel. <laughs> this is one of the problems. I don't know anyone selling steel. Then, uh, getting frustrated from that, just reaching out to random merchants and you know, manufacturers, we got introduced to B2B platforms and marketplaces, and then. Then there were, you know, when you think about, uh, dudes in you know, a staff that are together with you in a, in, in the YC cohort back then, then it's easier. It's easier to sell to a B2B marketplace because we know each other. We're like, we're part of the same ecosystem. I'm cool. I'm in Y Combinator. You cool. You're an early adopter. I will work my ass for you. Like we get the thing, right? We have the same, like we can make it work. And then our first customers were just B2B marketplaces and platforms, just tech people looking to disrupt old verticals. The, the thing that we didn't know, so at the beginning, our investors, um, we just had like a few investors from our, from our previous, uh, previous venture. And they were like, um, uh, yeah, but, but, well, how many B2B marketplaces out there? Like, you're yeah. not building a company to like, like how many Peter markets you think you can reach and how we, how are we going to raise our seed from this thing? Like those companies will not give you the ability to process payments for them. Who do you think you are? Um, you're too small. You can't compete with Stripe, uh, which was like the, and still is, it's not even the leading solution. It's the only solution. No one even, know, No one even you know, in a company, even if you don't really know what you're using Stripe for because you're, like, super disconnected, it's still obvious you need Stripe. Like, everyone are using Stripe default. It's, it's like, you know. It, so that was a good question because we didn't know the answer for it. But we just knew that those customers we were talking to, like the B2B marketplace and platforms, no one is serving their needs, really. No one is scaling B2B payments. They're helping them with credit card, but it's not enough.
1: That's what I've kind of been wondering as you've been saying this in terms of the first B2B checkout I, in the back of my head, I was like, is that, I mean, I think it wasn't Stripe founded first, weren't they doing that? But it's not like what you're saying is there's a differentiation and kind of the way of, B, of the definition of B2B checkout and the definition of B2B e-commerce kind of, it's just a different, category almost in kind of what you're talking about because i'm sure a lot of listeners are like uh didn't stripe i mean i could like my business could buy from another business isn't that what you mean but what you're talking about is at a different level it's something it's a different category
2: exactly um if if you're if you want to use credit card and you don't care about any any business oriented process stripe is just unbelievably amazing so we did some b2b marketplaces and then we realized one, this shit is very hard, <laughs> yeah. like, like building a B2B marketplace infrastructure to support a B2B marketplace. It's really, really hard. Um, but we felt like there's a lot of things to build that they need. And then it was like, okay, we have some customers who we'll built some, 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 something that resonates and then Stripe reached out to us from YC. And said like, Oh, we heard what you're building. It's cool. We want to invest. And then, like Lightspeed, um, led around, and all of a sudden, we had a seed uh, with uh, with the fund of uh, Max Levchin and Neil Levchin, and, and Lightspeed and Stripe, and all of a sudden, okay, th- this thing becomes real. And six months later, we are launching this thing. We call it B two B Checkout, the first one to create this this wall. You know, we were the first on Google with B two B Checkout because we are the only one saying it. So it was like, uh, you know, the beginning of like, uh, this thing of like, you know, when you're talking about creating a new category, like balance is certainly like the extreme case of this example, like just using this term, which resonated well in the B2C side, because checkout is something that everyone knows, but a B2B checkout is something that no one knows, but everyone can understand. And that was a strong, that was a strong brand differentiation. And with a strong brand focus, we went to market with our early adopters, which were the B2B marketplace and platforms, but now balance is much more diverse because we have much more, you know, now balance raised $90 million. Like it's, we have this robust, uh, ability to do the vision that we always wanted. And the way to go to B2B e-commerce, as you mentioned, is through the partners. E-commerce in general um, is around ecosystems. It's a very specific thing. There's like a Shopify, for example, and around Shopify. I'm not talking about these small SMBs that are building like a week's type of uh, e-commerce store on Shopify themselves. I'm talking about like real businesses that are building online experience. They don't do it themselves. They are brands. They don't have tech resources to do it. It's not wayfair, so they are going to agencies, and agencies are around those those platforms. I'm an agency, for example, uh, Codel, which is uh, one of the best, if not the best, agency in B-commerce. Is working with B2B companies. To build an online experience on e-commerce, e commerce is the tech the agency is is the dev consultant and implementer of it
1: so they're the ones kind of picking the not maybe picking the technology but in consulting with that organization, picking the pieces of technology that makes sense. Like if big commerce is one platform, maybe you pull in this, pull in that. I don't know if like a C2FO or something like that fits into this whole mix, but like the things along those lines, and then they bring it together, package it, and then say here, company that exactly. has no ability to actually build anything. Okay. That makes
2: sense. Exactly. Um, the go- the, go- the goal is at the end, e-commerce is a specific thing. A lot of companies are doing a lot of things, um, but it's everything that exists offline. There's a company to build, to do it in an e-commerce context. When you go e-commerce, everything changes. It's changing the entire tech of the company and the entire mindset of the company balance is focused solely on e-commerce. This is why when you speak about like, uh, when the world speaks about B2B payments, The differentiation of e-commerce, non-e-commerce is very, very important because it's different go-to markets, different tech. So Balance is specializing in the last three years in building this seamless B2B payment experience online, which is a very specific thing. Again, a niche, but uh, not really a niche.
1: This is a big
2: yeah, it's a, it's a Big specific area, but it's huge. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now that you have all that context. Um, so yeah, man, working with agencies, um, have a very strong relationship right now with e commerce. We're now launching, um, something that is already exploding, to be honest, which is our offering on e commerce, doing it together with them, um, with the leadership in be commerce with Codel, which is again, a very, very strong player in the baby agency world. And it's exciting because it's happening. Like the revolution that we just talked about, this entire thing is just happening right now. So we're just excited, very happy, working very hard, um, to make sense of it. And yeah, man, that's
1: the story. I love it. So, so what is the big mean, Tell me, like, give me the grand vision. You know I mean? I think I can put like two and two together as to like how the world changes with balance and uh, big commerce working together, but kind of tell me, I mean, a little bit about like why that excites you so much, like what the potential of that partnership is. And then, um, I guess more so even like kind of how you see the future, like what is the 10 X from here? You know, how do you, how do you take this thing that you've kind of, you've established the beginning of something, but it still feels like the first or second inning. It still feels like there's a long way to run.
2: Yeah. It feels like day one, really. And it sounds like, it sounds like a cliche. I hate to say things that are like, (sighs) but you know, In, in our space, it feels like, uh, another interesting stat that you want to know about is that the penetration of B2B online, it's only 8%, but the 8% is already more than twice as big as the B2C. So everything, everything, everything that you know, in B2C, which is the entire internet as we know it as consumers it's only like it's only less than half so um the goal is to create the de facto online checkout experience for b2b and i'm excited because if you can if you can create this fourth industrial revolution as we like to call it really moving trade online um and we're part of it right we are not like we're just part of this revolution, we are um, taking the check outside. But as a group, um, doing it together, the economy will change drastically. And I believe the cost of living for everyone will just go down. So, you know, at the end, it's all about us people, the consumer at the end of the supply chain. And I'm just excited about what I'm seeing
1: bar i know we started a little bit late so apologies on that um you know but we we made it work we're obviously going to have to do episode two next time i'm back in town we'll do that in person and get even weirder um but bar thank you for the time man i learned a lot i got a whole new industry in my head uh and i'm going to be developing a lot more questions between now and
2: next time we talk so thank you man enjoyed every second of it thank you and uh, great to connect
0: If you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, and all that jazz. Generally, scream from the rafters about how much you love Fintech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all.